Good morning and thank you for joining us. I must admit it's a bit unique walking into uh, the church building this morning and not seeing everyone fellowshipping and hustling and bustling around uh, serving the Lord today. Uh, but we're super glad that you're able to join us uh, via live stream today. We'd like to welcome those of our friends in the community who are also joining us and maybe from various places across the country and even some missionary friends that I know across the world. We're uh, so glad to have you and we hope that uh, our brief live stream today will be a tremendous encouragement to your hearts as we uh, worship God together through hearing his uh, word and praying uh, as a family in Christ. Uh, I got to admit, like I said, I really miss you guys. And if you're, if you're tuning in, I don't know what to do except to say I'd like to have a little bit of interchange <laughs> from you. So this is not just um, uh, unidirectional information this morning. So if you're watching and you're part of the church family and you have my cell phone number, you're not going to distract me by... Um, uh, saying hi via text or giving me a thumbs up or a fist bump or an amen or, or, or whatever form of encouragement you can because uh, this is a unique thing. Uh, but uh, I think we'll end up being a very special time for all of us as we uh, gather together um, across our community in smaller groups and, um, and especially as a church family uh, to encourage each other. Uh, this is a time for us to truly understand what it means to exist um, together uh, by the grace of God. So, I was thinking this morning as I was praying for this opportunity and probably an opportunity that's going to be our reality over the next few weeks, there's probably going to be more people tuning in to live streams and hearing God's word taught across the country. There's probably going to be more people in our country that are going to be hearing God's word in the next few weeks than any time in our recent history. So I would just ask you to join with us in praying uh, for God's mercy uh, to be uh, demonstrated through the teaching of his word and that the spirit of God would open up hearts to understand it and to turn their hearts and lives over to Jesus Christ and exclusively trust him for their spiritual peace and eternal security it's an amazing time for us in our own community uh, to be light for Christ. And I know that each one of you are doing everything you can uh, to demonstrate the character of Christ in our community and to live it. And we pray that God gives us fruit uh, to be sure. I want to thank Pastor Habas for doing the Bible study lesson this morning. And I want to thank Pastor Mike, who will be doing our live stream, Teaching God's Word, uh, tonight at 6 o'clock. I really hope you tune back in this evening to have your hearts nourished in God's Word again. And um, we're looking forward to um, hearing uh, from the Lord, from Pastor Mike, again this evening. And again, we're probably going to be uh, doing this Wednesday evening as well. Uh, we have our ladies' Bible studies that are all going to be live streamed this week. Um, we're looking forward to as many of you joining that live stream as you can. Uh, I know your hearts uh, will be encouraged uh, for sure. I want to thank all of you for encouraging each other and walking together uh, in Christ during this once-in-a-lifetime experience uh, for many of us. Um, I want you to pray for our first responders in our community, uh, specifically in our church. Uh, those who also work in hospitals, uh, pray for wisdom, pray for safety, physically and spiritually. And I want to give a public thanks um, as the pastor at Grace Church for those in our church and those in our community who uh, minister to us and help us as first responders and hospital workers and public health officials. Uh, we're so thankful for you and uh, we'll continue to pray for you through this uh, particular national uh, ordeal uh, for sure. If you disciple and study the Bible with others in the church throughout the week, uh, we would just uh, continue to request that you abide by as much as possible the state and local government expectations for getting together one-on-one -on -one or in a small group. And if you don't have the capability to disciple digitally, we encourage you to get together in each other's homes or the, the place of your choosing 
the lobby unfortunately will not be open during the week for discipleship as it normally is but I know there's many venues and many places where you can meet to study and encourage each other uh, in God's word as you pray together as well. I want to personally thank you for really encouraging my heart by sending me literally hundreds of Bible passages uh, as I had requested on Facebook. Um, I must say selfishly that my heart's was enriched by hearing what God's doing in your hearts and lives through the scriptures. I know Jesus said, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I've always been impressed by that word live. Man cannot live. We really cannot function as God's people without the bread from Scripture that nourishes our soul. So thank you for doing that. I'm going to take those testimonies, and I'm going to be doing a um, short um, video on Facebook once a day uh, for the duration of this uh, unique op time that we're going through um, with the coronavirus. And I hope your hearts are encouraged to hear from each other through me on Facebook every day. So we're going to start those tomorrow. And uh, we look forward to encouraging you as you've encouraged me um, through scripture to carry us through this time uh, as well. I want you to remember to pray this week. Um, I know many of you have. Uh, Rob McCallion, uh, his mother passed away. And uh, Rob, we love you and your dear sweet family. And uh, we're going to continue to lift you up before the Lord. And uh, we thank you so much for your bright light uh, for Christ and our community. And we thank you so much for being a loving husband and father uh, that you are. And I know the supportive son that you've been to your parents. And um, to God be the glory. We just want to let you know we're here for you. You're not alone. And uh, we're going to continue uh, to pray for you. And uh, if we were to gather together here as a church, I'd have you stand or come up front and um, pray for you publicly. You know my heart. Um, but please know that um, we're here if you need us. And to continue to pray for Joe Jackson. We had Joe and Kathy in our home for a brief time the other day. Had a wonderful time fellowshipping with them. And uh, we've got some unique opportunities coming up in relationship to uh, letting Joe know uh, what an encouragement he and Kathy are to our church. We'll be filling you in via email how we're going to accomplish that. And um, that's a testimony by God's grace that uh, he'll use for, for years to come uh, in that man's life, uh, for sure. Well, let's have a word of prayer together. And uh, as we begin, and uh, we'll focus on a passage of Scripture this morning uh, that I trust will encourage your hearts uh, I have to let you know that um, it's probably not going to be the typical length of a sermon that I would give on Sunday morning, uh, but I hope nonetheless uh, a little food uh, from heaven to encourage our hearts and nourish our souls. And um, thank you for those of you who are texting. Uh, they've been rolling in uh, consistently uh, ever since I, I requested it. And I want to let you know that's a huge encouragement to me. I really miss you all. And I know you miss each other too. Um, we'll look forward to figuring this all out uh, as we go along. Uh, let's bow our heads in prayer together uh, this morning and ask God's blessing on the teaching of his word, okay? Our Father in heaven, we lift up our hearts and our voices to you this morning on this, the Lord's day, your day where we have a change of pace and a change of focus. A change of pace that you've asked us to enjoy and a change of focus you've asked us to embrace. We're so thankful for outlining this first day of the week uh, to do this on your day. And Lord, our hearts have been encouraged so much in the word personally uh, we've been encouraged by your people collectively and now in this digital yet public format we want to be encouraged by you through your word as a family we know that you will do that 
And we ask the Holy Spirit of God to illumine our hearts to the significance of the truth that will be studied in our short passage this morning. I pray, Lord, that we would not just be faithful hearers, but doers of your word, that we might understand what it means to be blessed by you. Lord, we need your wisdom to know and then experience what it means to do divine things together in this unique time. All of our plans, or if not all of them, a majority of them may have been changed for the year personally, but ecclesiastically as a local church, they've certainly been changed. But I believe, Lord, our church is poised to embrace this opportunity to love you, to love your word, to love each other, and to love souls in our community that need Jesus. So give us wisdom, Lord, as we seek to live those priorities and to um, be used of you for, as encouragement to each other and then to be light in our community. Um, I pray, Lord, that the Spirit of God would be working uh, through us and among us uh, unto the fame of Jesus Christ and not we ourselves. And we look forward to the help that you'll give us as we learn even further what it means to truly be family uh, in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we would be remiss if we didn't thank you this morning for even this digital means to be together. It's wonderful. And we thank you for it. Now, again, bless the giving of your word this morning to the encouragement of our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning, if you have them, um, on a device or in uh, book form, and turn to the book of 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter. If you're not familiar with your Bibles, that's okay. Uh, it's towards the end of the Bible, a few chapters back from the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible in the New Testament. Uh, Peter wrote two letters for us, First and Second Peter, and uh, we're going to look at First Peter. We're going to look at one verse that many of us are very familiar with in chapter 4 in just a moment. Uh, so First Peter chapter 4, uh, this morning as we study together. I was reading a story recently of a little boy who was overheard by his parents praying and they heard him say, Lord, if you can't make me a better boy, don't worry about it. I'm having a real good time just like I am. <laughs> well, we know that the Lord is always seeking to grow his children up into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. And our hearts long for that change, don't they? The Lord has manifold ways that he's able to mature his children to become more like him and Enduring through various kinds of difficulty just happens to be one of them. Fourteen years ago, as a church family, we studied the book of 1 Peter together. And this morning, for just a few minutes, I would like to examine one verse in that letter from Peter to uh, encourage our hearts. And I will tell you, when we studied this book 14 years ago, this one verse that we're going to study we did not dissect it and extract the truth out of it as we will this morning because back then we just treated it as a conclusion to a particular paragraph in chapter 4 and that it is. Uh, but this morning instead of a concluding summary use of the verse we're going to unpack its truth and hopefully find it an encouragement to our hearts. This letter that Peter wrote has always been known as a book of saints' suffering. Sixteen times in the five chapters, suffering is mentioned. And the original recipients of the letter mentioned in the first two verses were never the beneficiaries of even a 
visit from the Apostle Paul or a Pauline missions trip. They were Christians from multiple religious backgrounds and cultural backgrounds scattered in northern Asia undergoing uh, pretty intense difficulty. When we think of difficulty, we relegate it always to the most intense kind. While Peter knew he was to put off his body, as 2 Peter chapter 1 says, lose his life for the sake of Christ, we know from history that the imperial persecution, as some of you may know it, from the empire of Rome had not begun yet. Yes, man had lost their lives for their faith up until the time Peter wrote uh, his first letter that we'll study a portion of this morning. But the widespread affliction from Rome on the Christians had not commenced yet, but was about to, and it would continue until the fourth century, until Constantine uh, legalized Christianity. The difficulty or the various forms of difficulty in this book that can be experienced are difficulties at home. They're tough times that we face, even at work. And sometimes we know that even human government can um, be oppressive and cause us hurt. And indeed, even with in one's own struggle and trying to figure out what it means to even know Christ and or become conformed continually into his image, there can be difficulty as well. And in the midst of what seems to be a book of enduring, infliction, enduring affliction, I encourage you this morning that this short letter is triumphantly, though, a book about the grace of God. For the Christian, there's no rising above the dust of difficulty without help from heaven. Oft times we become lost in the milieu of the difficulty that we're experiencing, finding ourselves um, wandering or spinning, if you will, in a vacuum of the trial. But if you hold your finger there in 1 Peter chapter 4, maybe you don't even have to turn a page. And let's look over at chapter 5 and verse 12 in the finer paragraph, final paragraph of the letter. And let's look at what Peter writes uh, there. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 12. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly. And here's the very clear phrase that Peter gives us to understand, to help us understand that uh, life is very difficult to live, period, but it's only lived with perseverance, with help from heaven. He says here, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God, standing firm in it. We need to stand firm in it. Grace is something given to us that we don't deserve in its most general definition, but really I call it help from heaven. As people who are part of the family of God, we know that grace exclusively in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? For by grace we have been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, our salvation, uh, the grace of God, this faith that we have is a gift from God, not of works, lest any man should brag, we know that we can't work our way to heaven. We know that uh, the function of religious practices, as we know, is not sufficient to forgive us of our sins. Uh, we know that grace, right, grace from heaven, help from heaven, this divine uh, ability that we have to believe is from God. We place that faith exclusively in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who promised us that when we did that, we would find rest for our souls. This is a salvation and a help from heaven that no pastor, no priest, no religious leader, no church could offer. It's only a gift that Christ can offer, and we stand firm in that grace. But after we know the grace of Christ and salvation, what Peter's talking about here is taking that that same ability from heaven that saved us and allowing it to help us live through various forms of difficulty. So G. Campbell Morgan in his commentary on 
Peter's first letter said, this closing affirmation of the letter inserted parenthetically startles, demands attention, and compels a consideration of the message in the light of what it says. This is the grace of God, so let's stand in it. So for our brief purposes this morning, let's go back to chapter 4 and look at verse 19 and unpack the truth of this one verse. This verse is the conclusion, as I said before, of a section that describes what it means to endure difficulty as uh, you and I walk with Christ. It outlines for us three very clear thoughts that will uh, assist us in clarifying the nature of our present difficulty and how to live uh, and endure through it. So let's read this verse. Again, a verse that's very familiar to many of us, a verse that I've seen many of you posting on social media, a verse that many of you have sent to me uh, that I know has been encouraging your hearts in recent days. Uh, let's revisit it, and then, like I said, let's unpack, let's dissect it and unpack its truth and uh, leave this morning, uh, God willing, more joyful than we came because we've been fed from Scripture. Peter says in chapter 4 and verse 19 of his first letter, Therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Let's read that again. Therefore, those who also suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Now, those of you who are used to coming on Sunday mornings and hearing me preach know that I like to um, take these uh, verses and break them down phrase by phrase. And I want to do that in three simple ways this morning. And then I want to give you a one-word description for each phrase as we help, as the Lord helps us understand the truth here. So the first phrase here, therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God. That's our first phrase. And we're going to um, um, give a one-word description of that phrase, and it's just identity. Identity. The second phrase here is simply, shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator. And the one word description we're going to give of that particular phrase is opportunity. Opportunity. So we have identity, we have opportunity, and then there's a final phrase in verse 19 that says, in doing what is right. In doing what is right. And we're simply going to give the word activity to describe that final, uh, final phrase together. All right? So identity opportunity, and activity. So let's go back to the first phrase here as we move along this morning. Therefore, those who also suffer according to the will of God. I was reading recently uh, a favorite author of mine, and he said this about doctrine, about truth. When speaking truth, turning square corners is always necessary. And Peter did turn some square corners when identifying who in his letter was enduring affliction or difficulty. We need to understand while the whole earth's population remains under the consequences of the fall of man into sin back in Genesis chapter 3, the truth of this letter is that when someone in Christ is in Christ, their life changes and therefore, the people in their lives have a choice to make. We said a couple weeks ago when we were together that we really don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, this salvation, this grace from heaven that um, comes in the form of Christ and we trust him alone in faith and in repentance. Um, we can't have, we can't say that we have a gospel unless this gospel, this Jesus we own as our Lord and Savior changes our lives. And so when our lives are changed, it's very difficult for people who used to know the former us to uh, compute, <laughs> 
to be able to understand or comprehend the new us in Christ Jesus. And uh, the text tells us even in the early verses of chapter 4 that uh, there's some who uh, will not understand and they can understand. And, and unfortunately, uh, they can walk away from us when we adopt this new life in Christ. And, and that's unfortunate, but that's a very unique pain and a unique difficulty that only the grace of God can, can help us endure for sure. We're identified in a couple other ways uh, in this letter from Peter. Uh, in other words, Christians, those who own Christ as their Lord and Savior, um, uh, their ID is having sometimes difficulty in the workplace. Uh, chapter 2 you can read on your own time, uh, describes uh, a unique um, pain that we can, not all of us, but we can experience even where we go for 40 to 60 hours a week and, and we labor in our professional lives, our vocational lives. And um, the light that we now have only because of who the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives, that exclusive light that is him through us, is very difficult to be able to uh, translate or comprehend by those who are around us. And though they may be our friends and our, our, our co-workers and folks that we have lunch with and maybe go fishing with or golfing with outside of the work hours, uh, yet there can be, the text says, maybe even from our superiors at work, our bosses, if you will, a unique difficulty that can come to those who are exclusively governed by the grace of God now in Jesus Christ. And, and so chapter 4, IDs, those Christians who have had a changed life and lost some friends. Uh, chapter 2, IDs, if you will, for us. Um, some of you who may, uh, again, probably not all of you, but, but some of you who may uh, be enduring um, various degrees of difficulty uh, even at work. Uh, for those who have a hard time understanding your changed life in Jesus Christ. But our text before us this morning in chapter 4 and verse 19 identifies, if you will, in one phrase, two other groups of people here. It says there are those who suffer according to the will of God. I think this is probably the most broad phrase that identifies all Christians who are governed by the Spirit of God in their daily walk. So uh, this phrase would just um, broadly describe any Christian in any natural rhythm of life that endures some type of degree of hardship because of their testimony. That's the first group ID'd underneath this broad phrase. But the second group that's ID'd underneath this broad phrase is specifically described within the context um, of this verse, and particularly the, the, the paragraph that it concludes, which begins back in verse number 12 of chapter 4. There is a, and I think all of us have probably endured this or are enduring this currently, right? There are times where God allows us, underneath his sovereign rule, to endure various kinds of affliction. And it's not necessarily because of our testimony. It's not necessarily because of that changed life that the grace of God brought. It's just for the development of our own spiritual maturity. I think of James 1, right, that many of you are familiar with. I think that um, the trial of our faith is often given to us to develop endurance or perseverance in our lives. And again, this is the grace of God that we know. We stand for a minute. The grace of God gives us the ability to grow unto greater maturity and spiritual strength during a time of difficulty. It's very, very clear that the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 understood that God had sovereignly appointed him to endure various kinds of affliction. And my goodness, if you're familiar with 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, review it. And if you're not, read it for the first time. And you'll see the Apostle Paul describing his own personal 
trials that he was going through appointed to him by God, yes, for his preaching, yes, for his testimony, uh, but ultimately there uh, to prepare him for an eternal weight of glory that awaited him. He knew that these trials uh, were only lived through by help from heaven, right? The grace of God that we stand in it. But these trials were preparatory in nature, right? They were given to him to grow him, to mold him into the likeness of his Savior, who he owned as Lord and Savior. So again, I want to remind you from Ecclesiastes chapter 9 that I think the whole world is under a certain measure uh, or degree of affliction uh, because of what we said earlier from Genesis chapter 3, right? When the fall, when man fell into sin, um, the whole earth was cursed because of sin. And, and I know that there's uh, various degrees of affliction that all men inside Christ and outside of Christ endure uh, on, because of that. And I would just encourage you to, again, read for the first time or maybe review what we studied last year in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and the first six verses. Uh, the whole earth is enduring affliction because of the fall. But our particular context this morning is um, what do saints do? What do Christians do? Those who have been born again, those who have been transformed by the grace of God, by turning from their sin and placing their faith exclusively in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. What do we do to endure various kinds of affliction? And, and certainly the first thing that we must understand is we've been ID'd and it's okay that Peter identifies us like this in his letter because there's no help for the unidentified. We've got to identify them and then understand God's grace and how the identified are helped. So as we move on this morning to our second phrase, which uh, has been described for us in one word as opportunity, uh, let's remember that those who have been ID'd, those who have been identified as those who would suffer in various degrees, are by God's grace compelled to not lethargy, but activity in their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember we said James chapter one, right? The grace of God, if we're going to stand firm in it, means that we must continue to walk helped by that grace, helped from heaven to embrace certain opportunity and activity right? So God's will doesn't exist in a vacuum. We've got to keep persevering. And there's many ways that we do that in the scriptures, but Peter identifies two here to help us as we move forward. Now, uh, a few months ago, um, we were invited to attend the Ashdown wedding. And that was a beautiful wedding, wasn't it? I love Jeff and Mary Jo. I love their families. And I loved the portion, I loved the whole wedding ceremony, but the portion that I really, really loved is when uh, Jeff and Mary Jo exchanged their vows, right? Because of the particular stage in life that they were, I really felt that when they exchanged their vows, they really knew what it meant to give themselves to one another. Like, I really felt like they understood bad, good math. One plus one equals one, right? It's almost like they were not just becoming one and exchanging their vows. They were um, happy to do so, and they desired to leave that ceremony as one for the rest of their lives. So that's the idea behind the action that we see the believer taking here in the second phrase of 1 Peter 4.19. Let's read it again. It says that we shall entrust our souls or shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Now, those of you that know me well, sometimes I like to park and um, really analyze a particular verb or word in a context. And I'd like to do that here for a few seconds with you this morning. I'd like to look at this verb, shall, and trust. Um, for those of you that probably have your Greek 
text sitting next to your English text, you'll notice that this is a present middle imperative. And simply all that means in the Greek language with the New Testament, which much of the New Testament is written in, uh, this is a verb form that certainly is a command, but it's given a voice that exhorts us to willingly or to make a volitional choice to place our person not alongside of God, not underneath God, but into God's care as we endure through a trial. One author said, literally, it's to place my person, not merely my situation, into his care. One plus one equals one. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Jesus told us that when we trust him as our Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God baptizes us into him. We are one with him, and since he's one with God, we are one with God. That's happened to us in salvation. In Christ, we're one with God. But here, Peter says, we've got to practically make a willing choice, right, to place ourselves into the care of God as we endure any degree of difficulty in our lives. And again, this is it's a great comfort for us who know Christ. For those who intellectually know Christ, but haven't volitionally turned their heart over to his lordship, uh, this text might give you a little heartburn because you might want to do it and might not know how to do that. For those who know Christ, the grace of God compels us and supports us and, can I, can I say, enables us to place ourselves into the care of God. Uh, likes described here. But if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you first to, uh, to take that which you know about him before and maybe what you've heard this morning and turn your life over to him. Turn from your sin. Uh, beg his merciful forgiveness on your soul because he died for the whole of your sin. And trust him. Place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and Turn your life over to his governorship, his lordship, and you'll know peace. You'll know his, his, his peace in salvation. So then, after you know that peace, then you'll understand what grace means in its ability to save you. And then now, as one of his children saved by his grace, you can live by his grace. And this is one unique way that his grace enables you to do that. He enables you to place your person into his care, into his care, and to take personal responsibility to do that. Again, that makes James 1 a bit more understandable for those who know Christ, right? Reckon it or count it all joy when you fall into various trials. How or why? Because our trials in his care, it's like he's got this, right? So grace compels us to make that choice, right? This is our opportunity rather than our difficulty that we're living in. And why? Because the text says the person, our creator that we're entrusting ourselves into is a faithful creator. Isn't that what the passage says? Shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator. This is the only time in the New Testament where God is called our creator. And I think Peter mentions that here exclusively out of all New Testament writers to remind us that this God, this faithful God, right, is creator. He's the omnipotent one of eternity that just by the mere spoken word from his mouth, all creation came into existence. He's omnipotent God. He's omniscient God. He's faithful God. And I believe Peter uses this word creator for good reason and for our encouragement. What does the word faithful mean here? Well, it literally means reliable or dependable. And as one author put it, he's immutably reliable and dependable. God never changes. He's self-authenticating. He's, 
self-defining. He can't help himself but be all of his attributes of greatness and all of his attributes of goodness. We're reminded in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 24 from another Bible writer that faithful is God. Faithful is he. The language there is he is faithful. He's forever dependable and reliable. Faithful is he who has called you, who also will do it. We knew again that his grace called us to salvation, and he is faithful to do it. To do what? We studied that back in the beginning part of the year in 1 Thessalonians. He's faithful to develop us as persons in Christ, to know how to function within his body, the family of Christ on a national and even global or local and global level. Uh, but he's also faithful to help us to be matured into the likeness of his son. Faithful is he. I think personally for all of us, we, we enjoy as God's people, 1 John 1, 9, right? If we confess our sins to our high priest, Jesus Christ, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I was reading in my time with God recently the book of Lamentations. And I was reminded of the author's words where he says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to those who seek him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. This is our opportunity, isn't it? We decide to entrust, to place ourselves into God's faithfulness because he is, right? He's eternal. He is. He's faithful. He's dependable. He's reliable. I came across a hymn that I'd never heard before. So therefore, a hymn text, which I had never heard before recently. And I want to read this uh, hymn text to you, and I think it'll be an encouragement to your heart as it was to mine. In relationship to our opportunity, shall I take from your hand your blessings, yet not welcome any pain? Shall I thank you for days of sunshine, yet grumble in days of rain? Shall I love you in times of plenty, then leave you in days of drought? Shall I trust when I reap a harvest, but when winter winds blow, then doubt? Your will be done in me. In your love I will abide. Oh, I long for nothing else as long as you are glorified. Are you good only when I prosper? And true only when I'm filled? Are you king only when I'm carefree? And God only when I'm well? You are good when I'm poor and needy. And you are true when I'm parched and dry. You still reign in the deepest valley. You're still God in the darkest night. So quiet my restless heart quiet my restless heart quiet my restless heart in you that's our opportunity to entrust our souls to a dependable reliable unchangeable omnipotent God he's got this he's got this and finally this morning we look at activity activity the final phrase in chapter 4 and verse 19 is simply in doing what is right in doing what is right. Um, in Common Grace, uh, Blaise Pascal said something one time. He said, the power of a man's virtue should never be measured by his special efforts, but by his ordinary doing. I'll reread that. The power of a man's virtue should never be measured by his special efforts, but by his ordinary doing. As we stand firm in this grace that helps us persevere through varying degrees of difficulty, we do so while doing right things. This would be by grace, our not special doing, but our ordinary 
doing. The Apostle Paul said that in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, he said, we are his workmanship in Christ, right? When we're in him, all right? We are his workmanship. We're saved. But after we're saved, Paul says, we're created unto good works. James wrote in James uh, chapter 2, but someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, when we're transformed by faith, that gives birth to works. Even Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, which we talk about all the time here, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and come to glorify um, your Father in heaven. It is natural for God's people to do things that benefit others. I'm reminded of Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, right? Where Paul says, So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We're created unto good works. What I find is fascinating about this final phrase is, is that this final phrase is encapsulated into one word in the Greek language, and this word is not a verb, it's a noun. It's fascinating to me. It's a noun uh, defining for us who we are in our person. A noun is describing a state of being. We have been recreated in Christ unto this state of being, the state of being of doing good works. Now, there's two words for the word good in the Greek New Testament. This particular word means um, that we do good that benefits others. We do good that benefits others. So that that particular word that's used here is also used in Galatians 6.10 that I've already quoted, all right, is that so then while we have opportunity, let us do good to the benefit of all people, especially those who are in the body of Christ. Now, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20, this word, Peter uses it again. For what credit, he says, is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience, but if when you do what is right, there's that word. If you do what is good or right to the benefit of others and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. That finds favor with God. Those who have been blessed by God with greater means than others, greater wealth. Uh, Timothy uses, uh, the Apostle Paul uses this word again as he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 18. To the wealthy, Paul says, the more the Lord has gifted you with, the more opportunity you have to do good to the benefit of others. Now, that's my translation. You can read it on your own. But nonetheless, this Greek word is given to us to show us that we have been created unto good works, and these works are unto the benefit of others. Okay. Again, the power of man's virtue should never be measured by his special efforts, but by his ordinary doing. Doing good to the benefit of all men, but especially the household of faith, is a natural part of the believer's lifestyle. This is a higher activity than mere philanthropy. Within the context where this word is used, and it's used 102 times in 91 New Testament references, this is a good that is done to strengthen the body of Christ unto greater spiritual maturity in Christ-likeness. This is good that's done to those without Christ to show them the benefit of knowing Christ. So whether therefore we eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. The power of a man's virtue, the power, should I say, of a Christian's virtue is measured only in his ordinary doing. Only in his ordinary doing. I was reading another favorite author of mine, and in conclusion, I'd like to uh, read a portion of a particular book um, that he wrote. Um, his name is uh, Paul David Tripp. He says this, 
Therefore, your person, your purpose in life is to make the invisible presence of Jesus visible to the lives of others. You are the look on Christ's face. You are the tone of his voice. You are the touch of his hands. You are the physical representative of his grace. This is your mission in every situation, location, and relationship in life to make the grace of the invisible king visible. This is our activity, my friends, to be the good of God in Christ to one another and to those that need the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've been identified, we've been granted a very special opportunity to entrust ourselves to our reliable creator and we've been given an activity. And that activity would benefit the spiritual maturity of the saints of God in Christ and our church family. And it will also benefit those in our community who are yet to know the Lord Jesus Christ as we do good things to benefit them and they see the visible grace of our invisible King through us. I hope your hearts have been encouraged in God's word this morning. Again, I miss you. I know we all miss each other. And over the next month or so, I'm confident that we will grow closer together through this, just in different, more unique and special ways than we have in the past. Uh, let's keep in touch. Uh, we love you. And please, please keep in touch with us as we seek to wisely oversee you as your pastors. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for, by grace from heaven, helping us to unpack the truth of this one verse. As we go forward from this place, we're thankful that by grace we've been identified and given an opportunity and even a pathway where we can be actively involved in demonstrating the grace of Christ to one another and to those in our community who need Jesus. Help us to wisely live this verse as we go forward from this point, more joyful than when we first gathered this morning. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Lord bless you. We'll see you next time.